On this season two premiere of Let Me Tell You Something, I talk with Nicole about medical gaslighting, which a recent poll indicated is one of the top concerns of women in 2023. Well, welcome to season two of Let Me Tell You Something with Nikki Tickner. I am joined today by Nicole, also Nikki, so Nicole or Nikki, and we are going to talk about medical gaslighting. So, Nicole, you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, so my name is Nicole or Nikki Bennett. Um, I am very excited today. I am, I am joining to do something as a mom. I have multiple roles in life, and I am excited today. I am, I am a mom, and I am going to only talk about being a mom, and I'm, I'm really excited. I have a almost two-year-old daughter. Her name is Love, um, and she is the, the most um, fitting of her name while also being like a Sour Patch Kid. So um, she's lovely. So I'm very excited to be able to um, serve in that role today. I love that. Thank you. So um, before we get into your story, Nicole, I just give the listeners a little bit of foundation about medical gaslighting. Um, When you hear me say that term, what do you think, Nicole? I I can define it, but I'm interested in what you think. So um, a lot of my career has been working in um, crisis and trauma. So domestic violence, um, sexual assault, working specifically with youth. And so Traditionally, I feel like gaslighting is used um, in an abusive way, and so it's it's crazy making. It's um, having somebody question their own sanity. Did something happen? Did it not happen? And so, in this context, it's very interesting to add the word medical um, beforehand, in my opinion, because it's not usually something that might seem as a a way that could be abusive or could um, cause confusion or cause you to um, kind of challenge your beliefs. And so um, adding in that that different institution, um, yeah, makes it makes it interesting, we'll say. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think you hit on some good points of technically, or usually when we talk about gaslighting, it's this feeling of like questioning my own reality or sanity. And then when we throw a huge institution on top of it, such as the medical profession, um, there's a power imbalance there too, which is often present in gaslighting situations. So a simple definition for medical gaslighting is the, the experience of having one's concerns dismissed by a doctor or medical professional. Um, and what we're finding is this tends to happen to women more than men, um, uh, and I have some theories about that, but we'll talk about that as the pod goes on. Um, and really, um, a recent survey of millennial women listed this as one of millennial women's top concerns right now is medical gaslighting and feeling like their concerns are not being taken seriously by their medical providers. Um, what we do know is that this phenomenon disproportionately impacts women, people of color, geriatric patients, and people who identify as LGBTQ. IA plus. Um, And so we'll look at that a little bit more as as the episode goes on as well. So some signs of gaslighting, if you feel like your medical provider interrupts you all the time, doesn't allow you to elaborate, or doesn't appear to be a good listener. Um, If they minimize or downplay your symptoms, like questioning whether you have pain, you know, kind of making you feel like you have to... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Prove your symptoms or something? Like validate. Yeah. Um, Refuses to discuss your symptoms, won't order key imaging or lab work to confirm a diagnosis or confirm out something. If you feel your provider is being rude, condescending, or belittling, or if they're blaming your symptoms on mental illness, um, but you're not provided with a mental health referral, or something I also noticed in a lot of the reading I did is a lot of symptoms uh, being blamed on being overweight. And so that really ties in if you've listened to some of the other episodes about toxic wellness and eating disorders and kind of our culture's obsession with women being thin. Um, So good foundation for everybody. But Nicole, I really want to turn it over to you because you've had a couple of experiences with this. Um, So if you could start, you know, by telling us first part of your story and we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. So what also is really interesting about this topic is when I, um, kind of first heard about it, I was like, I don't know if that really characterized my experience. And then as I go through my medical chart, I kind of look back over over my experiences. 
Um, it's so interesting to question if this was my experience because mm. when I when I uh, tell it to other people and I explain it, it's like it's absolutely that. But I think um, we are just so conditioned that um, certain experiences you have are just that's the experience you had. And so... Well, and I think uh, that's interesting because that really ties in with gaslighting itself of like you're always questioning like, did this happen to me? Was it as bad? Like, mm-hmm, do I have mm-hmm. a, a valid story? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that tracks. Yeah. So my very first experience um, was maybe 10 years ago, I think. And um, I had a birth control device that I just decided I wanted to have removed. That's within my scope of things that I'm allowed to, you know, ask for. And so I go to the doctor and she's like, absolutely, we can remove it today. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is going well. And so she tries to remove it and it, it it did not work out. It was an extreme pain. And she's like, I'm really sorry. You know, I don't want to continue to cause you discomfort. And she's apologizing. And she's like, you're going to have to come back and we're going to have to have the doctor. She was a nurse practitioner. And she's like, you're going to have to have the doctor come and he'll be able to use an ultrasound uh, machine. And so that way they'll be able to see right where the device is and remove it. No problem. Okay, that sounds easy enough, but it also sounds scary. So I asked my um, now husband, um, we were dating at the time, and like, will you come with me to do this thing? Because it seems really scary. And mm-hmm. Essentially, great. they're pulling out an IUD, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Out, out from inside my body. Yes. So removing something from inside my body. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I did, you know, bring a support person. And so we get there and the doctor's like, okay, we're going to go in this room. And so I don't see anything extra. And so I bring up, hey, you know, the nurse practitioner said that, there's supposed to be an additional device that we're using and it's an ultrasound and it's supposed to be in my chart. Do you like, do you not see it? Can we call her? And, you know, he says, no, we, we don't, we don't need any of that. I'll be able to do it. I'm really good at my job. Like I'm not at all saying you're not good at your job, <laughs> but I also know that I've already experienced this last week and it was pretty terrible. So I really like it if we followed what the lady already said we were going to do and what our plan already was. So if you could just like open up my chart and see kind of what the instructions were and He's like, I'm the doctor, and I'm telling you that we don't need to have any external devices. Mm-hmm. Okay? So at that time, he's like, well, that's, I guess, just what we're going to do. I want to have this device out. This is the doctor, so this is what we're going to do. So I don't know how long it ha- it happened for, but um, a good chunk of time, maybe 15 minutes of him trying to remove it, and I'm screaming to the point that I, like, have my hand over my mouth, which... Um, as a female, even saying it out loud is like, oh, I want to make sure I'm considerate of other people, right? I'm yeah. screaming and I don't want to scare anybody else. So making sure I'm censoring my own self. Yeah, um, don't bother other people. Yeah, while well, I'm in excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. So um, so finally, my boyfriend says, you know, uh, he like slams his hand on the table. He's like, enough, like that, that's enough. And so the doctor like pushes himself away from the table and he's like, fine, we'll surgically remove it. And he storms out, slams the door. So I stand up. I mean, I have blood gushing down my legs mm-hmm. and there's a nurse there and she looks like she's going to faint. So she leaves the room. And so we're both like, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean? And so a nurse comes in and she's like, yeah, we can go ahead and schedule your procedure. And I'm like, wait a minute, what procedure? Like, what does this mean? So not only is not a doctor explaining to me, it's a nurse and she's coming in to schedule a surgery um, as somebody has just slammed the door, clearly upset. Mm-hmm. And I'm now scheduled, going to schedule a surgery um, with this individual. And so, um, the nurse actually, um, filed a complaint on my behalf because of what happened. So the doctor's office contacted me and apologized. And, um, I filed a complaint. I put a thing on my chart that that doctor is never to interact with me again. So in case I ever needed something, um, Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't interact with that doctor, but, um, just continue to try to advocate. And it's like, I I guess I could have left. I guess I could have done things different. But at the time it's like, well, I need to have this done. This is the professional. So I guess I'll just cooperate. And yeah, there like, is that feeling of who knows better? And in that setting, it's like, well, you're like you said, the doctor. And I think what's interesting too, I don't know if listeners picked up on this, but like you're in your gown in a like vulnerable position. Right. And so for people that haven't been to like a gynecologist as a female, it feels weird already. Like you feel uncomfortable. And then I, I just, if I put myself in your shoes, it seems like it would be hard to like try to argue or push back or something mm-hmm. in that position personally. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> just also the way our culture is like, I, you know, have friends that are in the medical field. I have several friends that are nurses, family members that are nurses. I have a friend who's a medical student right now. And I have so much respect for physicians. And I think that's what you're taught over time. But um, you also know your body better than anybody yeah. else does. So it's such an interesting power dynamic to be like this person that you're trusted and this or person that you're supposed to trust and it's supposed to have your best interests at heart. Um, sometimes you're just like a number, right? You're just mm-hmm. like another person to, you know, go through the shuffle. And so 
Um, yeah. Well, wasn't there some comment when you and I talked about this before that they made about the ultrasound machine of, like, we don't want to waste it on you? Oh, I, yeah. They didn't yeah. say it that way, but... Yeah, they did. They um, brought up something like, we don't want to use resources that, yeah. like, we don't, you know, need to have, which... Um, Okay, but I'll pay for the resource if that means I don't have to go endure. Because also, how would now a surgery, how in theory does that make any more sense to utilize the services of outpatient service um, surgery versus just using an external machine that I know you have in the office? Yeah, it just tied in with what you said about like not wanting to burden people. I'm in pain, but I'm trying to be quiet. And then they're saying like, well, you're not good enough for the machine or something. It's like, okay, it just all connects together. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned the nurse filed a complaint on your behalf, and then you were also contacted about that. Um, what what happened after that? Kind of how did that impact your experience with the medical community and decisions moving forward? Yeah, so um, so my husband and I, when we um, tried to get pregnant, it took us uh, quite a ways of time or a bit of time to, to get pregnant. And so we, in our journey, had a miscarriage. And so from that, we... Um, kind of always had our guard up after mm-hmm. that because it's like, okay, well, you know, when's the when's the shoe going to drop or when's the next bad thing going to happen, right? And I think it, from my previous experience, was like you have to advocate for yourself all the time. You have to make sure you're informed. You have to make sure that you're speaking up if something's not correct. And mm. it became I became, like, hypervigilant to make sure that um, these things didn't happen because mm-hmm. in my mind, like, you can, like, I don't know, knowledge it away or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm like that, too. I seek facts to, like... Um, feel better about anxiety yes. like I need all the yes. information yes. yes and I told our doctor that ahead of time I said as long as like I can take any bad news I just have to be informed mm-hmm. I have to just like present me the choices I can I can make you know good choices I just I need to be informed of what's happening so throughout our journey uh, being pregnant with our daughter um you know I I felt like for the most part our care ahead of time went really really well like our doctor's visits went really well I felt like I was listened to and I would ask questions and I'm like I just need to know the answer like Mm-hmm. Whatever my question is, answer my mm-hmm. thing. And so um, so we go into, um, my due date was on Thanksgiving, which was a Thursday, and my water broke on a Monday night. So we go into the doctor and or go to the hospital, and we get there, and they're like, yeah, you know, you're in labor, you know, whatever. There, you have a, uh, not a lot of fluids, so you have to stay. You can't, like, go home and labor at home at some point until you progress farther. You have mm-hmm. to stay here to make sure that, you know, baby's safe and you're safe. Mm-hmm. Fine. So, um I needed an antibiotic, and my doctor had um, put it in my chart, which antibiotic he had um, requested. And so the lady comes in and says, yeah, we're going to put you on such and such antibiotic. I'm like, that's a really strong antibiotic because, mind you, I've done a lot of research. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, that's a really strong antibiotic. Uh, My doctor had said a different one. That way I don't get sick, and I'm really, you know, really sensitive to antibiotics. And Mm -hmm. she's like, well, I am the doctor on staff, and this is the antibiotic I'm recommending. So, And she looks at the nurse and says, hook her up and says the name of the antibiotic. So she leaves the room and I start crying of like, oh gosh, it's already happening. Like Mm. I've been here two minutes basically. And it's already that like, I've said no to something. I had proof that this other thing was what was recommended, not being listened to. And so my husband's like, okay, we just got here. Let's, let's try Mm -hmm. to, you know, give it a chance. Let's, cause I was like, I know this is going to happen. I did all my research. I, you know, came in, I felt like with all my armor on and I was like really prepared for this. And so which are also like in excruciating pain, so you're like, yeah. you know, not of your maybe normal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, on top of being like, I'm gonna have a baby. I don't know what that's gonna be like. Like, yeah, you're yeah, anxious. Just, yeah. Yes, um, and I like when they say like, you know, labor is slowed by anxiety. So mm-hmm. as much as you can try, like, yeah, sure, okay, okay. this yeah. is that's that's great. Um, so we get up into our room, and so we have an epidural, and things are going well, and then. Um, it has been maybe a day at this point, and my I'm in really bad pain. I have a sciatic acting up, and so epidural doesn't really do anything for nerve pain. That's not mm-hmm. necessarily a, in its realm, and so multiple doses of fentanyl, and I mean, it just it, it was just not a good situation. So um, I have this nurse that is assigned to us, and not helpful helpful is the best way I can explain it Mm. so she kept saying like well what which way do you want to labor what do you like these things because she's like you know you have a very particular birth plan so we know Mm. you're very particular about things which some of the things on our birth plan or plan were like normal in my opinion normal things so Mm -hmm. I had previously been a part of three other births I was a birth coach so I kind of knew what to expect their Mm. labors went pretty normal and went really well and so 
um, not particular, just um, one, for example. Well, you had an opinion. Well, yeah, yeah. that's true. I've had like one say over my body. It was a strange concept. So um, one was um, I didn't want frequent cervical checks, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in my mind, a bunch of random people I've never met inside my body seemed unnecessary and not really how I wanted to spend time. So that was something. If it's medically necessary, sure. But just any changes shift to have somebody mm-hmm. checking my body? No, thank you. Does it do maybe <laughs> for the non-baby havers out there, they don't maybe they don't know what a cervical check is. Can we explain why that might not be enjoyable all the time? Yes. So um, and I also got this approved ahead of time with my doctor that it, if it wasn't necessary, it was fine to have on there. So mm-hmm. um, so in theory, to check how dilated you are, so you have to be dilated to 10 Um and so checking over time, so in theory, you should progress a centimeter an hour. And so they want to check to see if you're progressing. Um, but it doesn't really make a difference if I've gone from one centimeter to two centimeter, mm-hmm. right? And in theory, based on your pain and based on your contractions, you could be able to ascertain this in a different way. A lot of studies have shown that it's not necessary to check somebody every single hour. Mm. Um, it also increases your chances of having uh, an infection because it's just multiple times your body is being entered in a pretty invasive yeah. way and so well you're sticking your hand their hand up your vagina yes yep all the way up yep yeah. all the way like they're like oh there's the baby's head like that's <laughs> how far up yeah. that would be so um uh, but so it's like oh i'm particular I'm like i'm not mm-hmm. particular so even when we went ahead of time we toured the the place to the the um the center and um, they're like, yeah, people don't really tour here. And they kind mm. of like made jokes that we had questions to ask. Like if I'm having a C-section, the baby goes to the NICU. Does that mean my husband goes with the baby immediately? Like mm-hmm. what's the procedure? And they kind of laughed like, well, well, we would tell you when you're here. It's like, well, mm-hmm. that doesn't help my anxiety now. So mm-hmm. I'd like to know the answer. Also, it's just like, what's your policy? It should be a very simple yeah. answer. So um, at one point, maybe I'm skipping ahead, but didn't this, um, as they were talking to you about your particular in quotes birth plan didn't they also ask like if you were denying care because you like push oh, yeah. back on so, something yeah another another one of the things was i didn't want a, i didn't want residents and yeah. um nothing against residents i'm just maybe on my second or third baby i could have somebody that is learning but i wanted an actual doctor so my exams things like that so in my medical chart in all capital letters they put um refusing care from all residents like oh. in capital letters which Okay, I don't know why I have to shout it. There's other yeah. things that could be shouted, but um, mm. so yeah, it's just you're just like labeled like you're being defiant. Yeah, like, I get a yeah. choice. Like that's the thing. It's like, but it's making it a, like it, you're like being a problem that you're choosing or mm-hmm. choosing something different. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're we're having our labor. And, I'm sorry, I'm skipping around, but we are. I'm I'm pushing, and I'm. It's like maybe hour three. And I am, like, in excruciating pain. So I hadn't really been... I'd been in pain with my sciatic, but not contractions. But, I mean, it was, like, just just awful. Like, I'm, I'm screaming, and I'm telling my husband, like, something is not right. And so our mm-hmm. nurse goes to the bathroom. Another nurse comes in. And so my husband's like, what what is going on? Like, she's in all this pain. Like, I, I could barely breathe. I couldn't talk. Like, it was... Because you had an epidural at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. And my pain hadn't been any other thing besides my sciatic so out of the middle of nowhere and I'm like I can feel every contraction like I mm-hmm. I mean I could just it was just it was like night and day so I'm like something is wrong like there's mm-hmm. a there's a problem and somebody's got to do something so the nurse comes in and she's like oh um you're Pitocin so Pitocin is the um, synthetic hormone of oxytocin so when your body's in labor it produces all kinds of oxytocin which is the chemical to essentially help you have the baby so they give you Pitocin to help you progress which I was dilated 10. I'd been pushing for three hours, so clearly my body had progressed. So mm. um, no need to have Pitocin any longer. Um, but so my epidural had been turned off, and my Pitocin was still at the maximum oh. level. So in theory, like fake introducing uh, contractions mm. on top of actual contractions my body was having with no pain medication. And you didn't know that, right? Yeah, so the nurse says that, and she's like, well, your epidural is off, honey. And so I'm like, I'm, excuse me, yeah. uh, what? And so my husband's like, get get her back in here now. And so she comes in, and I'm the nurse is like, um, her epidural is off? And she's like, yeah, I wanted her to be able to make sure that she could feel her contractions mm. for her to help her pushing. So I, I went ahead and turned it off. And so I'm like, why wouldn't you bring that up? That was, one, that was the only thing that, you know, my particular uh, quote-unquote birth plan was – that was really important to me was 
I understand in childbirth, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, a lot of things Mm -hmm. that you don't have choice in. I just want to be informed. So whenever I can be provided a choice, I just want to, you know, have choices. So, or at I, least told what's going on, yes. like to turn off your pain medicine and not even know. Right. And, and then, like, you're saying, why am I in all this pain? And they're like, I don't know. Yeah, just like it was just, oh, just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And so, you even like sign a form that like, you're like signing up to have an epidural and all the mm-hmm. complications that could come from that. So, it's like, okay, so not even a conversation to turn it off, right? Like mm-hmm. a legal document to turn it on. But so, um, mm. she's like, oh, well, I thought that I had mentioned it. So then she goes back to her computer and just, like, starts typing. That's it. So my husband's like, you're going to get the doctor in here right now. Mm-hmm. Like, we're done with you. Um, <laughs> you're fired. Yeah, you're fired. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So they come in and they're like, well, since you're not progressing and the baby's not, you know, moving farther along, we're going to have to do a C-section. Mm-hmm. Which is like, oh, so now it's my fault. Like, Ooh, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like, well, obviously my body's in that much pain. Hence, usually why you have an epidural is so your body can progress along. You have pain medicine because... If your adrenaline is too high and your pain tolerance is too high, it can slow your labor. So, of course, I'm not progressing. It's a, absolutely so. Right, right. I um, I go into, which this is, if there was not already a trigger warning, I'm going to just throw it out there for this part. Oh, yeah. But um, so we go into the um, delivery room and they have my husband in a different room and he's getting all kind of dressed and whatever he's doing. And so the anesthesiologist comes up to me and she pats me on the shoulder and she's like, I want to make sure, you know, like this doesn't make you any less of a mother um, that you weren't able to push the baby mm-hmm. out. And I want to make sure that, you know, when you move on through life and you think about this day, that doesn't make you any less of a mother. It's like, it's so much just as like, that's well, a, there's already all this stuff around mom moms or women that deliver naturally quote or vaginally mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and then have to have a c-section and then who uses pain meds and who doesn't like it's just that's awful and it's like but the baby is unbirthed if they are in my uterus <laughs> and so any way that they get out get the baby is out. a birth yes. so it's okay yes. like we go from unbirthed to birth yes so um it's like well that is just a stupid thing and also you just like laying on an operating table to be like that's a nice shame Again, and guilt to the just, vulnerability yeah yeah so like yeah. just Brene Brown would have probably just like I don't know shouted in that so oh, Brene yeah yeah so um so they're like yeah we're gonna do this prick test or something I don't even know and we're gonna you know check to make sure you're numb and all this stuff whatever so they start doing it and I was like oh I can feel that it's like by my right hip there's like something rolling or something like that and they're like is it pressure or pain it's like well regardless it's on my skin mm-hmm. just the outer layer and I can feel I that I feel it yeah so and I don't feel it on the left and you're saying you're doing it there too and so they're like well we're gonna go ahead and get started you'll like continue to be numb which like I don't that sounds bad so I'm like well also my husband's not here so could we like wait for him to get in here like we'll be in here shortly like okay well I also would really like him to be here like I also didn't know how fast it is gonna be and you know so um so he gets in there and so um he they start they start the uh, incision and so they're going and I'm like oh I can feel that they're like pressure or pain which I'm like I'll never forget that as long as I live yeah pain actual pain feels like like a knife like on my right side and they're like oh yeah we are on the right side it's like yes because i can feel it and i'm telling you that that's the case so they're pulling Mm. they're pulling and i'm yelling and so um which in our conversation i actually kind of forgot about this part um so they're they're pulling they're pulling and trying to get the baby out and they tell my husband they're like hey the baby because she pushed for so long because you know three hours is a long time almost four hours i think um, the baby uh. is stuck in her vaginal canal, so we might have to do a vaginal incision and, like, push up to get the baby out. So not only would I have been cut, like, hip to hip, I would have also had, like, a vaginal oh. recovery at the same time. Because it was stuck in between, essentially. Yep. And yeah. so... And in um, distress at one point, right? Yeah. So they, they so it became, like, an emergency. That's why they're like, oh, well, he'll get in here. You know, we have to get started because, you know, that you have been pushing for a long time, which in my mind, it's like, yeah, because of you. Like, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm aware. I've been concerned for hours, and you guys just showed up here to be concerned. And so... <laughs> um, so they're pulling, he's like, I, I don't care what you do, but you can't do that. Like, I cannot look at her afterwards to be like, I authorize this. So if that's yeah. the last thing to do, you have to get her permission. Like, I'm not approving that. You have to mm-hmm. do something different. So they're pulling, they're pulling. And so finally get the baby out and I'm screaming and they um, get the baby out. And I was like, how's the baby doing? They're like, we're working on the baby. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's not what I said. So baby's not crying, which I'm like, okay, other births, babies don't always cry. So maybe the baby's fine. And so... Um, so 
I ask again and they're like, well, we're, you know, we're working on the baby. So I'm yelling. So they're like, he's like, you have to do something. She's in excruciating pain. There's like blood everywhere. And they're like, well, we could knock her out. He's like, you probably should do that. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. But then by doing that means he has to be out. So Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be under. So nobody tells me that's happening. So all of a sudden I just like see the lights and they like kind of start dimming. So I think that I'm dying. Nobody said like, hi, you're going to be put on. Even even that. Hi, you're going to be put under and then put me under. No. Mm. So he goes in a side room. So in your mind, you're like dying. Yeah, that's what I thought because nobody's telling me. Mm -hmm. And so they give him the baby, like put the baby on his chest, which I mean, there's a lot of things about this story that are very problematic to me. But I just so badly was like, I, I'm going to push this baby out or have this baby and I want the baby on my chest. That's all Mm -hmm. I want. Mm -hmm. I grew this baby. I feel this baby in my body. And I just want to be able to experience baby the second that I can. Mm. So it's like, okay, that's that's not the case, right? So I don't get any pictures, like, in the delivery room, any of those things, which online, I'll be honest, when I see pictures, it's like a, just an instant trigger of just like, yep, I, you know, I didn't get to be a part of that. Yeah, um, dang it. Yeah. Yeah. So. I said I wasn't going to cry. Oh, you take your time, Nicole. So they take the baby, um, oh, her name's Love, so we can call her Love at this mm-hmm. point. So Love is out. Yeah, so Love, they're like, okay, love it's a girl. Here. Yeah, we're like, great. We, we know her name. We already have it picked out. So we're having a girl, and her name is Love. Great. So they take the baby, put a baby on my husband's chest, and put him in a room. And so this lady comes in, and I, I'm just going to assume she meant well because I, I just have to. And so she goes in this room and she tells my husband, you know, I I recently lost my husband and I was pregnant at the time and it was really hard. I understand what you're going through. And she's sobbing and he's sobbing and loves sobbing. So he's like, my wife died. Like, Mm-mm. why else would you be telling me this if it's not that my wife died? So he's saying, you know, did my wife die? She's like, well, I don't have an update, but mm. I just want you to know I'm here for you, which is also like you're sitting here crying. So it doesn't really seem <laughs> as though... Uh, you're, you know I mean, you're... <laughs> she, like, made it about her. <laughs> Poor Dominic, you know, he's a social worker as his wife, so he's like, it's it's okay, you'll <laughs> be okay, you know? So they finally come in and say that I'm alive. That's great. So um, maybe two hours go by or something, and three, I don't know, some amount of time. So my first thought, I, like, wake up, and I open my eyes, and I'm like, oh, I'm alive, mm-hmm. which is so wild that your brain, like, the last thought it had was that I was dying, and the yeah. first thought it had was, oh, you're, you're not dead, like, great. And the lady says oh, you have a beautiful baby girl. Do you want to see your baby girl? And I was like, it's really rude. But I was like, I just need a minute. Like, I just need a minute. She's like, <laughs> oh well, we God. really should try the baby, try to breastfeed. And I was like, no, I, I'm going to take a minute. I'm just going to take a minute. He's like, so Dominic says like, yeah, I, I think we should just give her a second because there's a lot to process and be like, here's a feed your baby. Yeah. This is your, your role like, in life. the <laughs> room. Like, yes. Well, yeah, there's so much there too of like, Fuck your feelings. You got yeah. to breastfeed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on. Get going. You know what I mean? You cow. Like, get going here. Jeez Louise. And so we get to our room and the lady shuts the door like when we're, you know, officially in our room and I'm like holding the baby. And, and so we get there and I was like, that was fucked up. And he's yeah. like, Nick, that was so fucked. I'm like, what are we going to do? And he's like, I don't know. Get out of here as fast as we can. I'm like, okay. You know, mm. so it, it just was wild. So. Fast forward, our doctor comes and he checks on us, I don't know, two days later or something. And um, which the only like bright spot in the whole entire situation was we we had her on um, Black Wednesday or Blackout Wednesday. And then Thanksgiving was the next day and it was COVID protocol. So we couldn't have any visitors, but a nurse felt bad for us. And so he snuck my mom in and let her bring us Thanksgiving dinner. And so my daughter is named after my mom. Her middle name is Kay. So I was so excited. My mom got to be the first pe- person to meet her, and we also got to have Thanksgiving. So yeah. as like as a family, so that was nice. But so our doctor comes and he opens up the door, and he's like, "Hey, Bennett family." He's like, "How <laughs> how's it going?" And we're like, "We're gonna fucking tell you how it's going. Yeah, Sit oh down." God, yeah. And he's like, "Take oh. a seat." Sir. So I'm like, "Have yeah. you read Have you read our chart?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, I I kind of checked. You know, checked on the ba- no. I want you to read it. I want mm-hmm. you to look through it." And he's like. Yeah, it looks like, you know, it took a, it took a while, but it looks like things went well. And so I'm like, what in the world? Like, mm. how does that look that way? Mm. So um, 
So, uh, mind you, I, at this point, uh, we had, you know, so Love was born, like, really early Wednesday morning. So most people with C-sections get to, you know, you have a little bit extended time, yeah. but we were discharged to the middle of Saturday because mm-hmm. I couldn't walk. That's so I had to time. have, I was in, a, like, a had a walker, had to have physical therapy come, so I was well, very... did you get left alone? Yeah, so... They're supposed to come and, um, like, help you get up, like, within an hour or two or something like that. And um, my best friend had had a C-section, so I'm just like, oh, I know the things. Like, you do this and you do this, and she got out super fast. And so I'm like, oh, this is this is kind of the, the way of how it will go, in my opinion. And so, um, like, maybe 12, 11, 12 hours go by, and I'm still in the same bedding. Like, I bled all through my pads, mm. my bedding, everything. Like, nobody was coming to check on us, and... Granted, it's around a holiday, but I still pay the same price, right, later for my huge medical bill that I got. Mm-hmm. Not to be disrespectful to medical staff, but, I mean, the actual consequence of me not getting up was that I couldn't walk. Like, I oh. literally couldn't walk. So yeah. um, so we um, were discharged from the hospital, and my family, you know, we start telling them, and I, like, I couldn't even talk about it. I couldn't. I It was... Um, just so awful that I like couldn't believe it was that awful and it's also like it's alarming like I don't want to share it I don't want to scare people to to say that this you know happened and so mm-hmm. um did you feel any sort of sense of like I did something wrong like was there feelings of guilt or anything like that at that time I'm just wondering yeah so um it was more like no matter what we said or did it made it worse okay so I feel like every time we tried to advocate or every time we try to say like well, what about this? Or, you know, try to say something. It was like, oh, you're being one of those kind of people. Like, yeah. oh, you know better than the doctor. It's like, nope, I sure don't. But I do know my own pain that you don't know, apparently. So yeah. it, it's not, I know better, but I do know better about my, my baby. Yeah, and yeah. so I also think there's this weird power dynamic of um, like, oh, well, you want the the best for your baby, right? Like, like you're deprioritized in your baby. Not that I don't want the best for love. Of course I do. Hence why I am so concerned about our outcomes by saying this to happen, not to this happen or whatever, whatever the choices are. Um, But it's like there's no other time in your life where another person is just instantly prioritized over you. Mm -hmm. So like my favorite analogy is like if I'm in a car crash with my mom right now, it's not like, well, I'm the kid, so I'm prioritized over my mom. It's whoever has the worst injuries or whoever needs the most urgent care. But in childbirth, it's like, well, things are presented to be like, well, I know you don't like it that way, but we want to make sure that the baby's whatever, like mm-hmm. whatever the situation is. So if you were to choose something different, it makes it seem like you're choosing against your baby, which is not. You totally have me spiraling about like, and that's motherhood. <laughs> like you're just a second class citizen. And it's like, yes, oh, yeah. but yet you need to be taken care of. So you can like, I don't know, take care of the small people who can't take care yes. of themselves. It's like makes no sense. But it's like your only existence is to breed like. Okay, you brought the baby in the world. Yes. We don't care about you. Yes, and even afterwards when I, like, I was in so much pain when I was at home and I was like, I just don't think that this is right. Because once again, I've known people had C-sections. I'm like, I, this pain is just not hmm. correct. So I call and make an appointment and my cousin and her husband came to get me and to, to get me into the appointment, like, put me in a wheelchair to bring, right? You usually do like a six-week checkup or whatever yeah, and yeah. I was there like maybe five or six days later. After getting a refill of pain medication and being wheeled in in a wheelchair, and um, I I looked at my medical chart today just because why not? Um, and it says um, it says pain is minimal and well controlled. Oh, that's what they put. Yeah, I was like, that's interesting. What the hell? I need a second refill of pain meds. I was brought in here in a wheelchair five days after having a baby, and I'm in so much pain. I'm telling them, like, on the right side, there's something that's wrong. And they're like, well, childbirth is rough, and labor is very hard. I mean, you did labor for a very long time. It's like, I'm very well aware of all of that, but Uh also, this does not seem normal to me. Yeah. So I followed back up again, and um, I... um, to, to, to no avail. I, they're saying like, oh, maybe your incision is infected. So maybe you'll have to have a procedure, which absolutely not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go to an entirely different health system and I, I go there and I sit down and the doctor, um, cause it's a doctor that my family members have. And I sit down and he's like, Nicole, I just want to let you know, I'm very sorry for what happened to you. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, thank you. And it was very nice. And he's like, no, I'm really, really sorry for what happened to you. And so I just, like, start sobbing. So it's like, oh, an actual doctor is saying that this was wrong. It's not just, like, my husband and I. Yeah. It's not 
because um, you do, you feel like maybe that this is how it's supposed to be, or maybe like, I don't know, maybe we did ask for too many things or whatever yeah, yeah, that you yeah. think. So, um, so yeah, so for him to say that, um, and so he's like, we will do a CT, we'll do some x-rays, we'll see what's going on. For sure, pulled a muscle. So mm-hmm. pulled a muscle, which was putting a lot of pressure on scar tissue, which explained all of my pain. He signed me up for physical therapy um, once I was cleared to be able to do that. But, like, to actually be listened to, to actually provide proper tests, to provide proper care after that. Um, even now, my daughter will be two in November. And when I see him, he's like, How, how's your groin doing? How's, um, like, you know, continue yeah. to remember? Um, which is just an entirely opposite um, experience. But it did feel very nice to to be validated, to be like, yeah, that was that was a really... Really bad thing yeah, that happened. Yeah, what, what was it like to, like, look back on your chart that you have access to and see that they characterized you as, like, pain is under control, doing fine? Yeah, so we um, maybe, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe halfway. So I had 12 weeks of maternity leave, and I had saved up all of my time for years um, to be able to. <laughs> well, it could get us on a whole years, other topic. Ten years, yeah. to be exact. No, maternity so, leave in America. Yeah. So saved up, you know what I mean, all of my time. And um, it, 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 every week that I continued to be in pain and not be able to ambulate how I wanted and not be able to do the things that I wanted made me frustrated because mm-hmm. this time is supposed to be with my daughter and mm-hmm. bonding and doing things. And it's like I couldn't carry her at different yeah. points because of all of my pain. And so... I don't know, eight of the 12 weeks, I think I just spent like trying to get well. And it's like, yeah. okay, well now that we have a month left of our time together, but so looking back, so we contacted a personal injury attorney and um, went over our whole entire situation. I got all my medical records, which made me re-aggravated to yeah. see um, one of the things, for example, in my chart, um, when we talked to our doctor about what happened, he said um, she discussed her labor management regarding um, decisions for her epidural and pitocin. She expressed desire to have had those decisions discussed with her. Mm. Which, like, yeah, who, do, who doesn't yeah. want this? Like, it's like such an <laughs> anomaly. So, um, but well, so, and we're both from professions where you write, we write case notes or document things. So you like get it, but also you're like, what the hell? This yeah, is not accurate like, representation. Yeah, it's like, yes, yeah. I did say that. It should not be like a profound statement. It's <laughs> yeah. just a fact. Like, doesn't everybody want, want that? So <laughs> she wanted uh, to talk about her body her before decisions. people made yeah. decisions and did things to it without mm-hmm. her consent. Um, so, cause other places that's like against the law, like in a lot of other situations, mm. you know, you can't do that. So. Um, but when we contacted the attorney, he was like, you know, you have two years to make that decision. And so um, we, you know, talked about it. And he's like, in your records, what you're saying happened. He's like, I absolutely believe both of you. And But what you're saying happened is not documented. Mm-hmm. Like all of the different notes that doctors provided to also say, like, I know you went to an appointment sooner than six weeks, but in here it says your pain is well controlled. So unless somebody saw you in a wheelchair, unless somebody, like, it's your word against theirs. Oh. And talking about power dynamics, right? So court is where you would have to go to do this and because I would be the suing party it's up to us to have burden approved to say this did happen and he's like nine times out of ten if not even nine and a half times out of ten people side with a doctor because people would assume a doctor or a nurse makes a choice that is in your best interest that like maybe there's just a complication or mm-hmm. maybe there's a negative outcome but a lot of the stuff with our process was intentional choices and it seemed to me like like we had pissed people off, so they were like intentionally being yeah, abusive yeah, yeah. to me and to my husband, um, or or if not even intentionally, just sure not being not intentional. And so, um, so that's even more frustrating to be like some doctors continue to behave this way and practice this way in nurses because there's not a lot that you can do, mm-hmm. and not that not a lot of doctors and nurses have the very best intentions. Like I said, I have a lot of respect for the medical field. But our actual situation was so different than um, I feel it, it should have been. And so, um, yeah, so the, so we just decided at that time, which we still have two months left, but we're not going to, because I don't want to relive it. I don't want to sit in front of a court. Yeah. I don't want to do any of those things. But um, But it is, it's like, okay, so one institution we feel we were wronged to mm-hmm. then have to, in theory, go against another institution, yeah. which um, no fault of its own. That's just the way that the system is created. And yeah. so it just feels way bigger than you. And it just feels like, well, why would I even? 
further. And, like, to your point earlier, like, already there's this feeling of, like, I don't really want to piss off my doctor. And, like, you guys got that vibe of, like, ooh, we've kind of been labeled or something. Mm -hmm. You know, the analogy we talked about is, like, it's like making your your server mad at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, they have the access to your food and stuff. Um, It's the same thing. Like, why would you want to make your doctor mad? That's not good. Yeah. And and also to now have a large medical bill right so yeah. everything became an emergency everything was extended so yeah after insurance it's like a eight thousand dollar bill so every month that we make that payment i i want to just scream because Ooh, it's like yeah. we in theory endured all of this and then we get to each month pay this institution that treated us this way so to be understanding of like oh they're short-staffed or all these things it's like so much um uh, so much of our money and our energy goes into paying for the super traumatic thing that we will both remember as long yeah. as we live. And it's like, well, this is just standard operating mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. oh, well. Yeah. So. Yeah. So one of the books I read to do some research for this episode is called Unwell Women. And it it's misdiagnosis and myth in a man-made world. And they talk about many things, but one of the things they talked about was kind of the birth industry in general mm-hmm. and how um, birth has been pathologized over time. And by say, what I'm meaning is that, like, people used to birth in their homes without all this medical intervention. Mm-hmm. And then there was all this kind of movement around twilight sleep that they used to do yeah, yeah. during labor. Um, and then a lot of medical intervention around birth. And so it's kind of been turned into this medical event, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing they said that made me think of you says that many who give birth in hospitals and maternity facilities still find that their decisions and needs, especially around anesthetic and angelus and analgics, I can't say that, it, anesthetic interventions such as epidural spinal blocks and opioid pain relief are delayed, ignored, trivialized or denied um, pervasive myths still circulate around the benefits of so-called natural and normal birth leading many women who are permitted pain relief to internalize the false idea they have failed in some way as women and mothers um, and you and I talked a little bit about how this belief that like you should feel pain during birth and um, so I guess I'm just wondering like as I read that does that speak to you or mean something or what what do you think? Yeah, and I think even like when you're talking about the just the route of pain medication at all, right? That the anesthesiologist who in theory is often in charge of epidurals and C-section yeah. anesthetics, which is so scary by the way. Those are scary people. Yeah. <laughs> they come in Okay, I'll just, they come in and they're like, we're going to stick this giant needle in your back. Do not move as you're in pain. Yes. And then they're like, by the way, if you move, you could be paralyzed. And you're like, okay. Or have migraines the rest of your entire life. Like, okay, ready? Like, oh. They're so scary. Yes. And this lady beforehand, we had really liked her and got along with her well. But even her statement was like that. It's just so ingrained in that profession that Mm -hmm. is like. Well, it doesn't make you any less of a mom. It's like, why would I have even thought that? Like, mm-hmm. why are you even introducing that idea that, you know what I mean? That, yeah, like, yeah. How? How is that even a thing? But I feel like somebody who does this all day, every day, that, like, if she has that stigma or she has that belief system ingrained in her, it's like, that's it's just yeah. a part of the, of the system. Some bias, yeah. To be like, well, you have to earn being a mom or you have to, like, endure a certain amount of something that... Um, because, yeah, once again, there's no other procedure that people are like, wow, it's so great of you that you, you know, had your knee operated on. You didn't have any <laughs> no, aesthetic. Man, it's like, what? what in the world? Yeah, you're totally right. That's a good point. So, it's, it, but it is because it's, I feel like, because it's girls. And I think even sharing the story, like, I, I've been very selective of who to share it because mm. I, I don't want to be scary. I don't want to be, you know, and I, like, overwhelming or triggering to people. Um, and I know there's a lot of people that have really good births or they're like, oh, my birth's not that bad, but it's also like, it it can be a spectrum, but even to say out loud, like, well, it's not that bad. It's like, we also don't, it's not like a competition. We all collectively should be Mm. on the same understanding that birth is hard, no matter how hard it is. You still like grew a whole entire human. Yeah. So, um, but I feel like we have a tendency to be like, well, it's not that bad, or I didn't have it as bad as so-and-so. And so, um, but I think in sharing it, it's like, we just should be able to have these conversations and um like support one another Mm -hmm. in the however people's births are or whatever they you know choose to do yeah i think what's interesting 
you know, about your story and kind of how it ties in with the research that I've done is like historically women have had a hard time having their pain um, validated. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about like 1900s, 1800s and earlier, when women would complain about pain, it was often blamed on this, like our emotions, hysteria. There's a lot of tying in with like our menstrual cycles and such, but that what keeps coming forth in the literature I've read and the articles is that women constantly have their pain um, kind of downplayed. Mm-hmm. And it's often looked at as you're being difficult or you have a mental illness or, you know, I, there's a, a story I read about a woman that had a chipped elbow and she kept complaining about it. And her doctor said, well, you're overweight. And so it's putting pressure on your joint. And what ended up happening when finally someone would listen to her is that her elbow was broken. And it. It's just, you know, and that's a key part of your story of you saying, like, I'm in pain. I can feel this. I don't like what's happening. And people being like, no, you're fine. We'll it's fine. Continue operating yes. on you. Yeah. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. So um, that also reminds me. So we, um, so I, uh, I had gestational diabetes. And so I um, was in the hospital, at, I don't know, maybe like three week, or three months before I had love, something like that. And I went to the doctor and I was like, I just like don't feel well. I had an appointment like later in the afternoon. So we went and um, like did a check and I told Dominic like I just don't feel right. And so the doctor was like, okay, we can come tomorrow and we'll check, blah, blah, blah. So my sugars were all out of whack. And so like, okay, you can go over to the clinic. We want to see what's going or to the hospital. We want to see what's going on. We'll just kind of check you in for observation. So I get there and they start asking me questions. And like, we see in your chart that like you have anxiety. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, how long have you experienced this? Which, okay, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I'm like, you know what? Bring it on. Child, resident, no offense. Sure. Uh, How long have I experienced it? Okay. Since I was 19, my grandpa passed away and I had a lot of grief. And my grief manifested, manifested as anxiety. Okay. Great. So she leaves. <laughs> Whatever. So she comes back in. No follow-up. No. She's like, yeah. okay. She comes back in. And so she has a notebook. And you'll love this. She has a notebook. And she says, okay, I have these questions that I want to ask you. I was like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. So have you ever experienced suicidal ideation? <laughs> Which means, and then provides me a definition. I was like, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Mm-hmm. I am here because my sugars are out of whack. I am not here because of anxiety. And I am absolutely not asking any more questions from you. Like, if you want to send a social worker in here or somebody, a, a psychiatrist, yeah. something, sure. But I, no offense, I'm not having a resident ask me questions off a piece mm-hmm. of paper. You know they put that shit in your chart, too. Oh, yeah. Refi- I'm sure they were like, oh, look, she see, <laughs> yes. she is one of these, you know. It's like so, Elaine from Seinfeld. Do you know that episode yeah, yeah. where she put her difficult and she tries yeah, to keep it? Yeah, because then you, the more you try to say you're not difficult, you yes. continue to be difficult. Yes, yeah. So they take my sugar, and it's like, I don't know, 40. So it's like. I told you people, like, yeah. you're just like, oh, she's so anxious. Like, no, I'm sweating and I'm like going to pass out because yeah. of my sugars. But instant thing to be like, oh, in your history from 14 years ago, you have anxiety. It has to be anxiety. It yeah. couldn't be anything other than that. So right. they see my sugars throughout the day. They can continue to fluctuate. And so I was like, ha, see, told you. Mm-hmm. Like, I told you that this is what it was. But to just be like, oh, well, you know, she she does have a history of anxiety. So that absolutely. Also, like, I would tell you if I'm anxious. I'm not yeah. anxious. I'm actually yeah. getting really irritated. Like, that's mm-hmm. actually happening. But um, yeah, you're like, this is anger. Yes. I can identify yeah. my feelings right for you uh, right <laughs> away. The, so Give me the face chart. I'll tell you how I'm feeling. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. Well, that I mean, that's interesting, too, because also what I've seen is that, um so medical profession is quick to jump at like mental health illnesses or being overweight. So what I think is interesting too, that kind of ties in with some of the research that I've been doing is this theme of like people knowing something's not right with their body. Something doesn't feel good. And like having to totally fight for like even an initial test or something like that. So if you think about like women who have been diagnosed with um, autoimmune diseases, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. MS, lupus or whatever, um, it takes forever because it's just this initial jump towards you're anxious or, you know, you're, you're over exaggerating with also, there seems to be this like fear among medical professionals that we all might know something more or like, you know, this arguing about like, no, I, I, I want to get this test or I need to do this thing and the pushback of like, no, you don't know better than me. And we're going to follow the course of action I've laid out. I just think that is so, I don't know, 
frustrating or, you know, I don't know where that comes from of like, why not listen to your patients a little bit more? What, like, what does it matter to you if you order this test unless it's because of the insurance companies or something? Right. Probably. If it's something, you know, that like, okay, well, we have to do this and this before we can do this, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, this test is $5,000. So before we do the $5,000, we got to try this and this Rule or something. Out. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think it's like, um, I don't know if it's like maybe an ego thing that mm-hmm. it's like you're, it seems like as though you're challenging somebody to mm-hmm. say, Um, Like, as a social worker, if I'm ever interacting with an individual and they make any, like, well, this doesn't work for me, or I don't think, absolutely, great. Like, you're working with somebody, whereas Mm -hmm. I think just the power dynamic to be like, well, why would you challenge me? Like, how do you know more about your thyroid than I do? It's like, well, because I'm the one experiencing the concern, Mm -hmm. so that's actually how I know. Or, like, make a group decision on it. Like, it's not, um, like, I, I don't. I don't know, but it, it, that's just at least how it feels to me. In the times that it has happened to me and I have spoken up or questioned, it was instantly met with, um, like, it was like a hostile situation. Yeah. It wasn't welcomed at all. So it, it just would condition you to believe that that's just how it will be. Yeah. And, you know, this being your own advocate doesn't mean that you are disgruntled um, or difficult. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I also think that really ties in with some of the other things that the podcast has talked about, about how women are just taught to like, don't be difficult. Don't be too much. Don't take up space. Right. And so then you roll this in there of, well, if I ask questions or I try to advocate for myself, I'm going to be labeled as this like mm-hmm. difficult, hysterical mm-hmm. woman, you know, like it's mm-hmm. the 1850s again or something. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think it's really hard for us to like shake that off. Well, in in both of the situations, um, bless my husband's heart, he's so lucky to have been able to be a part of them both. Um, Both instances stopped or something changed because he said it, not because I said it, not because I screamed for hours or Mm -hmm. minutes, however long. And depending on the situation, it was him saying it was enough and then somebody listened Mm -hmm. to him saying it. So it's like, had I been there by myself, right? Like, what if I was a single mom? What if I, you know, didn't have a support person or my husband was unavailable? Whatever the situation um, because COVID, like you could only have partners. So, yeah. um, so, uh, then what could have yeah. happened that I, you know, wouldn't have had a person with me. So, um, and it, it, this experience changed kind of like my life view of like how I perceive different situations and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, like every year when, when people get really excited, when their kid turns a specific age, like both of us, when love turned one, like we were excited, but also had this like huge amount of grief that, mm. you know, looking back to her birth, it's like, well, let's fast forward to once we got home. Let's, yeah. you know, we don't, we don't really want to memorialize that. We don't want to share pictures of that or any mm. of those things. And so, um, I think institutions often just forget about the everyday person, right? Like yeah. they just continue along the way and this is our individual situation, but that health system's never going to remember us. They're never going to you know, make any changes because of what happened to us. And so um, Mm. I think sharing the story, so multiple individuals, right? Like they're the Margaret Mead quote of a group of, like small group of committed individuals is kind Mm. of how change ever happens. And so just multiple people to just be informed of their situations and advocating for themselves and asking questions ahead of time. What would have made this situation different for you? What could they have all, I mean, a million things they could have done differently, yeah. but. Um, I don't know. I think, I think about it all the time of like, how could it have been different and everything truly in my toolbox to know I tried. Yeah. So I really don't know other than our, our new doctorate, our new health system um, said, you know, you guys want to have more kids. We will absolutely, you know, w- like what would make you feel safe? Mm-hmm. And I said, going in, knowing that you will be there because you were my trusted person and having a C-section. So that way I can make sure yeah. absolutely numb. It's a controlled day that I go and everything is ready. My husband is there and we can be all set. So the other situation, there was just too many variables that yeah. um, that made it feel very unsafe. And so um, so moving forward, but I at the time, I don't. I really don't know what we could. It's not like you can. No, when you're you in labor. guys. Yeah, them. Yeah. Oh yeah, careful. but yeah. it's like you know we can't really like pack up and like head to a different hospital. Yeah. Oh, this has been super fun. Um, I'm gonna try somewhere else. Yeah, and so um, I really I I don't know because I I truly feel like we um, yeah we just we mm-hmm. were just like part of the shuffle, just yeah. another person laboring, and I think sometimes that's also. Um, different professions have better checks and balances, in my opinion, about like 
checking in when you're feeling too burnt out, right? Like sure. when clinicians have session after session after session and you're just kind of listening and you're not really um, interacting yeah. um, with clients, I feel like sometimes maybe this profession is just another birthing person, just another person here for whatever that it, you just get lost in the yeah. shuffle. Yeah. So kind of is a good segue for like, what can you do or what can you do to advocate for yourself? So um, an article I read from the New York Times talks about the importance of keeping detailed notes and records. Mm -hmm. So like a journal or something you can look back on. Um, Continue to ask questions, bring a support person um, so that you have a second pair of eyes and ears, but also someone that can speak up for you, kind of like your situation, Nicole. Um, make sure you get next steps, which you did all of those things, I will acknowledge. Mm -hmm. So it says, if you're still being ignored, what should you do? Switch providers, number one Mm -hmm. recommendation. Mm -hmm. Um, Article also acknowledges not so easy in the United States where everything is managed by insurance systems and you can't get to a doctor Mm -hmm. when you need to or want to. Um, Find support groups, appeal to a higher authority, um, these are all reportable events that providers should know about, it says. Um, but as you mentioned, easier said than done, right? There's mm-hmm. at, at parts, I can understand how sometimes it might feel a little helpless in these big systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why I'm really glad that you are here today to talk about what happened to you. Well, and I think also for other people, um, you know, sometimes when you hear a term or you hear something, you're like, oh, that's interesting. You're like, wait, that, that kind of fits. So I feel like this this um just having a conversation about what this even means I think will apply to a lot more people because some people's personalities are maybe not as aggressive as mine Mm. so a doctor doing something like my cousin when she was um in labor the doctor kept coming in and I'm not exaggerating like every hour like you know it's been a while do you want to see section do you want to see section and so as the support person, I'm like, if we are interested in that, we will come find you, right? So, but thank you so much. We don't need yeah. you to continue to come in here. Yeah. And so, but I feel like, you know, she's like, well, should I do that? Because like they keep presenting the idea, should I do that? It's like, well, is that what you want to do? Well, no. Okay, then we don't have to do that. We'll just continue on. But I think um, sometimes you're just like, because you're so in the moment that you're not really understanding that, um, like that is what's happening or like you do feel like, well, I've asked for it multiple times and they've said no. So maybe it really should be no. And I should stop asking for it, which goes against your gut, which, you know, should always listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And we, there's the kind of, we talked about like, yeah, you, after a while start to think you, what you told me the other day is like, you're supposed to just kind of think it away, right? Like get over it, move on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, some of this is in your head. Um, the things that we just, talked about and that there's kind of if we want to talk about the patriarchy that there's this feeling that women are expected to suffer right and so they kind of just pathologize Mm -hmm. things that we're going through Mm -hmm. um so in addition to reproductive medical gaslighting which is what i would kind of call all of this and all of your experiences women are experiencing it with several other things too we talked about um autoimmune disorders Mm -hmm cancer diagnosis, so uh, especially women that are getting um, breast cancer earlier, colon cancer, Mm -hmm. things like that, really, again, saying to their doctor, something doesn't feel right and feeling like it's just going on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it mostly being blamed on being overweight. So there's this pressure of if you were just thin enough or well enough, this would go away, which has an interesting tie-in with... um, how much we've commodified wellness cult- culture, I think. Well, and think of the message that's being sent that it, it like, um, it's also false hope to think that if I just exercise more, these things will be alleviated, mm-hmm. right? So I spend my time. And they however still long. feel like you fail, right? Yes. Yeah. So then it, it seems like it's my fault or whoever's fault, right? That this thing mm-hmm. happened and then time has gone by. And maybe instead of stage one breast cancer, now I'm at stage two because I tried your your wellness ideas yeah. or whatever you're thinking your that it is. <laughs> yes. And um nope, still have breast cancer and actually now it's escalated. It's farther, so yes. You you have used precious time that I have because mm-hmm. you haven't taken me serious because there are so many articles that I have seen that, you know, so and so like, you know, they'll they'll report on so and so has had this diagnosis and all of the people, specialists, all these people along the way. And so um yeah. You missed it, yeah. They're not listening. Mm-hmm. They're taking it seriously. 
Um, a couple other things I wanted to touch on. We talked a little bit about the intersectionality of women of color and medical gaslighting. Studies found that black women especially were more likely to be labeled non-compliant or agitated when they tried to advocate for themselves. Yeah, like Serena Williams. Oh, yeah. Who was Talk having about her that. It's very pul- similar, right? Yeah, so um, she had previously had a pulmonary... No, she had previously had issues with blood clots. So she was... After she had a C-section, she was saying, like, I'm having trouble breathing and um, got dismissed. And so she's like, no, I, I have had experiences before. So she was having an actual pulmonary embolism, so a blood clot in her so lungs. So scary. And had to have an emergency procedure to correct it after some amount of time, which in my mind's like, who paid for that second surgery that I shouldn't have had to have? But um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. She and died. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. People die from that all the time. And so had she not, I think she like got out of her bed to like get somebody after having a C-section to like, hey, this is very serious, which mm. the lengths to, that you have to go to is wild. Yeah. So along with women of color, we talked about how also um, geriatric patients and LGBTQIA plus are disproportionately impacted. And I think that has to do with marginalized populations, underserved populations, Mm -hmm. um, and how they're less likely to probably be taken seriously for their concerns. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something we should all be um, aware of and, and concerned about and speak about, which you have done today. So what are you hoping people take away from hearing your story in this conversation? Um, well, I think send love a bunch of birthday presents uh, when her birthday is in November. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think um, just to be informed, I mean, to the best of your abilities, right? So if you're going to have a procedure, do any amount of research that you can on it so you know kind of what questions to ask, mm-hmm. what things to be prepared for. So if a doctor ahead of time, in my opinion, says, okay, you're going to have this procedure and A, B, C is going to happen. You get there and you're like, well, this is strange. A hasn't happened. And now B is kind of like the letter F and, you know, yeah, things yeah. seem strange. You at least know ahead of time having a guide to say this is how it's supposed to go. And you can continue to ask questions and absolutely have a support person. So mm. um, I don't go to any serious doctor's appointment now without a person. Um, and even some of my appointments, I would have Dominic on speakerphone. Yeah. Just to have another set of ears, right? So you were making sure we're on the same page. But yeah. just somebody else to be able to ask questions for you. Because when you're experiencing something, your perspective is just different. So an outsider to be able to also advocate. Because what I learned, apparently Dominic is the best advocator. So if Dominic <laughs> says, don't do it or do do it, then absolutely, the, yeah. the, then his wish is their command. Yeah. So um, so everybody can bring Dominic. They can borrow yeah. him if they need him to go somewhere. So, Which in itself is like, you know, thank God for him and all the things. But disempowering to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, like, damn, mm-hmm. I, I have the vagina, like, the baby And I grew the out. whole baby, yeah. like, I, the whole baby, so. Yeah, that's really something, yeah. Um, and then it's okay to speak up, right? Like, mm-hmm. we do, I think, allow ourselves to get intimidated by certain professionals, um, just based on how our culture maybe esteems them mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, and I think also, like, continuing to have conversations about things, yeah. like, with people that are safe safe and trusted and, because um, it, it, it doesn't have to be that births are traumatic, right? Like, yeah. there are things that happen, absolutely, but it doesn't have to be that way. So, being able to talk about it and say, like, well, I, I this is me, you know, I did want to have a baby. So, kind of my, you know, my tax that I got to pay to be able to have mm. a baby is pain and all of these things. Well, like, that that's... dates back to, you know... <laughs> The garden. That's our sin. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah. yep. I'm not even just saying, it was literally in the book I read. Yeah, no, yeah. I, yes, yep. Um, <laughs> well, also, all of the things from the beginning of time to now, how many different procedures were done on women to test yep. their pain oh, tolerance gosh. for childbirth. Yes, that's a whole other thing, too. Yes. Especially women of color. Like, yes, yes. yes. Um, because you, if, you know, you are owned by another individual, you have no rights over yes, your body. So yes. we will do whatever we would like to do to you, you know, to advance science. You're and totally so, right. All of like lots of different um, advancements that have come were from people of color that experiments, yes, were were done. And so, um, you know, very um, affluent white men get to put their names on things. I think even the if I'm not wrong, I have to do research later, but I think the like father of gynecology is actually like after it's female research. 
Yes. Or something, but it named after a man. I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, I, I know the father of gynecology. He's in my my book here. I'll have to, maybe that can be an after pod episode. But yeah, he's in here. And something about, there was a lot of concern about the uterus early on. Like that's where the word hysteria comes from, oh, uh-huh. from the mm-hmm. uterus. And it was it's a whole thing, Nicole. Like I got a lot of information I can share. But yeah, there is a dude of gynecology. <laughs> I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I'll find it. Yeah, and even like the creation of the speculum. So yes, it was, there's a whole chapter yes, about it. I, I oh even before this happened to me, it's like self fulfilling prophecy or something that I was very interested in this subject because I just am and um, lo, know a weird amount of like I could win yeah. a really good trivia round on this. I feel, but all right. Um, so yeah, so the speculum was two spoons like inverted. Um, used on an individual, and so this person, you know, got the credit for it. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, if you haven't read it, you should read this book. It's called Unwell Women, for okay. Nicole and all the listeners out there. And it's pretty interesting. It kind of takes you through the medical history of women and um, how really it's been a, a man's field and how that's impacted us. There was also a really good book that I read, um, Birth Like a Feminist. Oh. Um, Sure, I, I can't one. think of it. I think her name is Angela, maybe Garby, something like okay. that I want to say. But um, I read it while I was pregnant, and I just, I really appreciated a lot of the different ways that things are talked about in there. But mm-hmm. it was a really good, um, like, empowering type book. So Great. So that was Birth Like a Feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, Unwell Women is the, the book I was talking about. And then really, if you... Google search any sort of medical gaslighting, you'll get a million articles and stories about people who have experienced this. So um, I'll finish up by saying, if you couldn't tell already, Nicole and I are not doctors, so nothing in uh, today's pod should be used as medical advice, uh, but just the opinion of two two lady social workers <laughs> trying to bring awareness to um, what probably needs to be talked about more. So I thank you so much, Nicole. Uh, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. This is a a good first experience. Yeah, it's our first pod. Yeah. You did great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. If you like this podcast, subscribe, rate, and share. It helps with the algorithms. To support future episodes of Let Me Tell You Something, become a show patron. Go to patreon.com slash letmetellyousomething.